and welcome back to Real Clear with Dr. Klein, the crossroads of politics and psychology. If you would like to listen to ad-free episodes and have access to daily and weekly releases, essays, and other membership perks, and you also want to help in the production of this program, go to realclearpodcast.com and click subscribe. There are a lot of places in this world where you can put your money, and so I thank you for considering membership to realclearpodcast.com. I hope you enjoy this next episode. Welcome back, folks. I wanted to give you an update as well as a look toward the future. I haven't recorded in around two months because I finished remodeling my second home and I just needed a break. So I took a break. Sorry about that. I'm back now. And ironically, during some of that break, I finished up my book that I'm writing and I hope to have it in the editorial process soon if any publishing houses are interested. If they're not, I'll just click that grandiose self-publishing button and deliver it to the world myself and see what comes of it. Okay, the book is on the psychopathology of American cultural and social and political life. So I'll just leave it at that, and I'll talk more about it as time goes. In terms of um, upcoming episodes, next week I'm going to be interviewing Dr. Richard Creighton for a second time. He's a very sharp man, a very sober-minded, and a very complex thinker. And so we're going to be talking about the psychopathology of the anti-racist movement. I believe that borderline personality and narcissistic psychopathology is basically advertised and promoted in the doctrines of the anti-racist movement. We're going to go through that with a fine-tooth comb clinically and talk about it. So we're going to skate over uh, perilous ice, some people would say, and hopefully we'll do so artfully. So I'll release that likely at the end of next week, and we can talk about it. As always, I look forward to hearing from any of you on the topic. You can reach me through the website, realclearpodcast.com. And in February, I'm planning on having Dr. Mark McDonald on. He's a psychiatrist and best-selling author from Los Angeles and a very complex and multifaceted thinker on a variety of topics that are of interest to me and I think to you. And so we're going to be sitting down and addressing basically the whole world together. (laughs) I mean that. I just want to sit down with him and talk openly about a variety of controversial topics, so-called controversial topics. And let's see. Um, So for a salient news topic this week, what I've been interested in is the evidence of the crumbling medical systems around the world that the left thinks we ought to be excited about. So I don't mean to perform polemically here, but this is a left-wing promotion that we ought to be striving toward socialized medical systems. Well, if you look at some of the news stories that are percolating and not from right-wing sources, the United Kingdom has a serious problem with its medical system at present. It's reported to be under serious duress, frankly crumbling, doctors demoralized, underpaid, overworked, huge wait times. And this is supposed to be the system that we're striving toward. In Canada, there was recently a story about a woman, 37 years old, mother and uh, and wife, 
who was brought to the emergency room by her husband. She was in severe abdominal pain. Long story short, the wait was so long, she died prior to receiving medical care. They tried to resuscitate her once they had uh, noticed that she was basically a goner uh, three times, and she died. It's a heartbreaking story, and I can't imagine what the family is going through. It was unnecessary, it would seem to me. She waited six hours in the emergency room uh, uh, waiting area, then was taken to a non-medical room that just had a bed and a sink in it, and told to wait there longer. At some point, she was in such pain, she screamed out. She fell on the floor. The husband couldn't pick her up himself. He needed the help of security guards. And security guards were the only people paying attention. And eventually, when a nurse came in and took her blood pressure and realized it was sky high, then they realized she was in real trouble. This must have been eight hours later, maybe up to 10. And then she died. Now, the American medical system has its problems, and we ought to be serious about attending to them. I think we have, frankly. People aren't going broke anymore from medical expenses. We've fixed that insurance problem. So what's the problem? Why do we need to go further? Why do we need to overfix problems constantly? We saw this with the uh, civil rights uh, issues that I think the LGBT community uh, you know, QIA plus plus Zeta sign, uh, square the root, whatever you want to call it now, uh, hyphen, hyphen. We saw this with that movement when they tried to co-opt the civil rights struggle and, and, and take it over. Um, basically, why did they need to do that? They took it too far. There had already been equality promoted in the gay community and it was working fine. Uh, feminist issues had already been ironed out. I mean, earnings were really leveling off. If you look at, uh, I, I'm digressing here, but if you look at, uh, say, um, new psychologists, they're 90% women. No one's complaining about that. I'm not either. I don't care. I was one of a handful of men in my doctoral program. But we care about an imbalance of uh, men to women elsewhere. Well, why some places and not others? Why do we conveniently pick areas uh, to focus our ire on? My point is, while it's worthwhile to uh, examine things for uh, so-called bias and, and, and so forth elsewhere, um, we can take it too far. And I think that we're doing that. I, I fear, really, I fear that we're doing this with our medical system. Uh, during the Obama administration, they try to promote what are called accountable care organizations. And the stated aim of this was to get doctors out of private practice, draw them into these organizations, centralize them so that you can reduce costs. I see the rationale here in terms of um, uh, the books, you know, uh, reducing administrative costs and so forth. It is more expensive to provide services in private practice. But what's being missed is the ethos of Americanism here, which is independence, personal striving, self-governance. That is being missed. And that is what I believe is causing the crumbling of these systems that operate in Canada and the United Kingdom. You know, Michael Moore, when he talked about his, uh, his movie Sicko, he was getting into some of the problems of American healthcare many years ago. 
He interviewed a doctor in the United Kingdom, in London, I believe, and the doctor made around $80,000 a year. And Moore was interviewing him, asking him, well, you seem to be living fine. You've got a nice car. You live in this, you know, nice uh, upscale apartment. And the doctor was responding, oh, yes, everything's fine. Everything's fine. Can you imagine being a medical doctor and making $80,000 a year? Why would you go through the training? Why would you go through that kind of stress, that kind of lifestyle to make $80,000? Okay, that's uh, about $30,000 more than the average family of four in America. You don't become a medical doctor to make that much. And some people might be thinking, well, you should become a medical doctor to do the work and not to, um, not to make money. I don't think that's true. I don't think you can separate the two. I think we are giving our medical doctors a beat down right now, especially our emergency room physicians. I think we are absolutely beating them over the brow and then expecting that somehow they're supposed to turn around with a smile and provide us unwavering, unfatigued care. It's like, excuse me, you take a medical doctor, you put her through tremendous training, basically uh, uh, hazing. Uh, that extends well beyond residency. You sleep deprive them, you overwork them, you underpay them for several years, and then you put them in an environment where uh, they're subject to malpractice threat at an exorbitant rate, and then you're going to underpay them with managed care insurance, which we've already done. We're correcting for that a little bit, but really we've underpaid them. And now you're going to tell them that they're going to work for a socialized system where their uh, rates will be reduced by sometimes up to 40-50%. Really? And what is it exactly we think is going to happen to medical motivation? To the motivation, the will inside of each doctor to work hard, to provide excellence in care. What do we think is going to happen to the implicit Hippocratic Oath? I'm not talking about a personal striving to do no harm. I'm talking about the outcome of motivation on the performance of practice. What do we think is going to happen? Why don't we look around the world and see what's happening? These systems are totally crumbling. It used to be that people, um, you know, prominent political figures in America would say, well, look at Cuban medical care. And they'd say, I would go get surgery in Cuba. Turns out when uh, Cuban heads of state need surgery for cancer, they go elsewhere. And it turns out that the Cuban system completely crumbled, obviously. Why would we talk about such a system in a laudatory fashion? Now, Canada and the United Kingdom are showing those same fracture points that we always imagined were present. So here's the rub. Why don't we in America make it easier for doctors to countersue patients who fraudulently and frivolously sue them? That would solve the problem. See, the issue here in the United Kingdom and in Canada is you can't sue your doctor if he really screws up. You can't. You can't do it in New Zealand, the UK, or Canada. There's some small recourse, but it's very small. You cannot take things to a private litigation process. Now, we oversue our doctors in America. The Balancing Act is allowing doctors to fairly easily countersue their patients for frivolous lawsuits. If we made that pathway easier for doctors, for physicians, we would balance the scales Insurance companies would settle less and would put their assets toward um, 
countersuits, and we would balance the playing field. We'd restore sanity. You see, one of the reasons that um, wait times are so long in Canada as well as the United Kingdom is because they've made healthcare into a government institution. Have any of you ever worked in a government institution? I have before. For a period of time, I was a prison psychologist. And I noticed the other psychologists around me down there were like zombies. I stayed there for one year while I was building my practice. They were zombies. And they themselves used to call it golden handcuffs. They said, yeah, I stayed at the party too long. They couldn't go into private practice if they wanted to. Most of them were no longer actual psychologists in effect. They were just uh, paper filler outers. And they would go home at the end of the day. It was terribly sad. They would all call out of work once per week. Every single shrink down there called out of work once per week. I know this because I tabulated it because you got a list of who was calling out that day. Every single one called out once per week for the entire year. And that's how they used their time off because they didn't want to go into work, obviously. Now, prison systems are a particularly oppressive place to work for anybody. So uh, taking that into account, I believe the same effect holds true anytime you genericize a system and remove personal incentives. And that's what you're doing when you socialize anything. When you put anything into a big government system, uh, like the Postal Service, uh, like many other U.S. government institutions, when you examine the performance of the workplace, you look at a severe amount of demotivation because personal effort is not tied to personal gain. You see, for the private physician working in a, a private institution or his own practice, his personal effort and prowess is related to personal gain in the sense that he's recognized and rewarded. We can't remove that link because that's the link to excellence anywhere in the world. I can't think of a scarier place to remove that than in medicine. We need to start treating our doctors better. We need to stop uh, overloading our physicians. And, uh, you know, this, this talk is really focused almost exclusively on medical doctors. I'm, I'm not throwing myself in the same crowd here. I can address psychologists elsewhere, and I have in a previous podcast. But really, I'm talking about our hardworking physicians who save our lives in the emergency room and elsewhere. They need to be respected. They need to not be sued so goddamn much. All right. We have to stop crapping on the people who save our lives. And I think if we do that, we'll have a better system for everybody. And we will not need to drift towards socialized medicine, which I think is a catastrophe and is proving itself to be a so. Okay. So. There is my reaction for the week, and I'll be back next week, maybe even sooner, with a reaction to other news stories. Take care.